I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. So today, Rebecca and I are going to be talking about a couple of topics that are very near and dear to our heart. One of the most important things that we can ever really understand is just the idea that there are peripheral truths and there's core truths within Christianity. There's a hyper-skepticism in our culture that says if you can't know everything, then you can't know anything. And so basically that leaves our faith to where... It is just uh, vulnerable, especially for kids when they go off to college. It's really easy for them to get picked off by having all these kind of peripheral truths of the faith questioned when there really is just certain things that if you're going through a period of doubt, there's only certain things that really should rock your faith. And the other things can maybe be kind of annoying, (laughs) but they shouldn't rock who you are in Christ. So... Rebecca, I know that you have actually gone through a time where you struggled with doubt, and uh, one of the things in, that really helped you through that time is categorizing what are some of the core issues versus what are some of the peripheral things. Like, these peripheral things are okay to have doubt about, but there's the core doubt. So why don't you kind of describe your story a little bit? Were, did you claim agnosticism or atheism? Oh my goodness. I thought that literally, I, I really thought that I was an atheist. At least on an emotional level, I thought, I don't believe anymore. I don't feel anything. Um, I go to church and I see all these people that are feeling all these emotions and I feel nothing. I'm dead. And I have all these doubts that seem to add up to a really big case against God. And so I thought to myself, I've got to figure this out because... If God does not exist, I really need some people who think the same way because we are all we have in this world, relationships and people, and then we die and it's gone and we've really got to make the most of it. And I have to find some people that think the same way. And so I understand when I hear about atheists that form these atheist churches and such, I I can actually understand that because they really feel... They, they're feeling that vacuum. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And just as a quick aside, just uh, for anyone listening that's not sure, the difference between atheism and agnosticism, atheism is atheism. It's non-theist. It's someone mm-hmm. who believes there is no God or the new atheists nowadays. They'll just say, I lack a God belief. I'm not actually making a claim that there's no God, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, agnosticism is a little bit more of a humble position saying, I'm not sure. I it, Usually agnostics say they don't really think there is, but they're not sure. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. And I felt like I had enough doubts that made a pretty good case against God. But in all reality, if you look at all those, when I looked at all those different doubts and there's just a ton of them and in a way it was like a big giant snowball and I had to kind of dissect it and push things out and see what the individual doubts were because it had just sort of emotionally, intellectually and emotionally just kind of, you know, rolled down a hill very quickly for me. And so um, when I looked at them, I I started to realize that a lot of them weren't really, didn't really have any bearing on the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the core. 
And yeah. I did have some doubts in that area too. I, ha- I really had some doubts in the um, historicity of the biblical accounts. And can we, kind of a textual criticism, can we trust the New Testament documents? And I really had never been trained in that area. Um, Those are extremely important questions. I was on an airplane with a girl uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, John and I actually, did, um, we booked separately because we were going to be returning separately. So we actually mm-hmm. had, we weren't sitting next to each other. And I was sitting next to a girl and I was reading uh, J. Warner Wallace's um, yeah. Cold Case Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have since recommended it to so many people. I think it's just such a great, um, it's it's a very easy read, but he really takes you on the journey with him. Anyway, but. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading that. And so she just kind of started asking me questions. And it turns out, you know, she was a Christian. She was raised in a Christian home. And she was saying, oh, my best friend, this, you know, guy I went to high school with, he's out on missions right now, but he loves that kind of stuff. And, um, she was, she's a theater major at mm-hmm. a university, which that's, that's a, that's a fairly dark place to be. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown at you, yeah. um, in the theater program. But, um, I kind of broke it down for her and she was saying, you know, some things that were kind of making her question her faith. And I said, well, the really, the thing that you have to go back to is, is this true? I said, all these other things, like, you know, obviously if it's in theater, I mean, of course we talked about homosexuality cause that's going to come yeah. up if, in a theater program. Um, mm-hmm. I that said, was a big one for all, me too. Yeah. I, I said, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's a ballet dancer in, in the dance world. That would be, but, yeah. um, I said, all those things are important, but what it comes down to is, is this true? Yeah. And she just kind of had this, huh, look on her faith. I was like, because if it's true, then, then I can start working out all that, those other things. But until I can verify that I really think this is true, all that other stuff doesn't really matter. And so yeah. that would be the idea of the core doubt versus the peripheral doubt. A core doubt would be the resurrection of Jesus. And what's amazing is when, when you compare, I was just reading about this today for my courses at um, Houston Baptist University, the, the degree I'm taking. When you look at the other religions, they really don't have this sort of um, um, testable, testable, highly testable, highly like you can take this sort of forensic approach to looking at history and looking at documents and looking at these people who were claiming eyewitness accounts of this this event. Um, When you compare it to, say, um, Buddhism or Hinduism or even Islam, you know, all of those are very personal things. And it's not these sort of eyewitness accounts where multiple estimations or like, I guess that's the word to, to some event. And, and, and when you like, like Jay Werner Wallace, who is a cold case investigator, he is a detective. He's going to look at these things and he's going to see, well, these read like eyewitness accounts. Yeah. There's a little bit, there's a little bit of discrepancy, but those discrepancies can be accounted for by difference of differences of perspective of different yeah. eyewitnesses. And so it all falls in. So God has given us something that I think is so important for us in this post enlightenment age, when we need data. We're just so data hungry. Information, yeah. data. And, and science and, you know, yeah. anything like that. And much of the Bible reads, you know, bi- the Bible itself is just this collection of so many different genres of literature. And so you have the narrative, but then you have the poetic and you have, you have things that just don't fit into that scientific mind frame of, you know, we want data and we want it to be clear and chronological and 
but yet then you have the the gospels and it really does seem to fall within that um you know that category that we want today so i would say for us in particular in this post enlightenment age that we live in that is the core that is where we fall and really any yeah. age but but that's where we fall and when i when when i was looking at all my doubts and and it really was dr craig i i just saw this quick little youtube video and and maybe we can share it on the website of him talking about doubt and him talking about you know there's certain doubts that we can kind of put up on the shelf and say you know, I'm going to investigate that later, but that's not, that's not so significant for me now. It's being able to categorize doubt and saying, okay, does this have any bearing on these core beliefs? If, does this doubt tell me whether or not Christianity is true? And if it's just kind of more of a peripheral doubt, like if some random miracle happened out here, then did Balaam's donkey really speak? Did Balaam's donkey, what about the Canaanites? You know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, there's like, there's a lot that, that is still mystery. And, yeah. and in a way, the more I, I think about it, the more I think that's, we love mystery and we love not having everything totally figured out. Yeah. And so it's great that we have this core that can be sure and can be, it's testable. And there's a lot of evidence, a lot of um, documents that can just attest to it. And then we have these other areas that we don't know so much about. And I'd, um, I'd like to bring up real quick that one of the things that, um, that is worth noting is probably the difference between Christianity and other religions. So um, mm. Islam, one of the things that if, if you read in, in the, I can't remember if it's the Quran or one of the surahs, mm -hmm. or surahs, what's the, is it the Hadith? There's two the things. There's the, uh -huh. Is it the Quran and the Hadith? In uh, one of them, it's talking about the way that you test about if Islam is true is, has another book ever been written that is as glorious as the Quran? And that's their proof yeah. that it's from God. And that's not super testable. That's a very subjective thing. Similarly, yeah. um, Mormons have the burning in the bosom. Like, if you truly seek and ask God if this is right, he will reveal and you'll have a burning in your bosom. That is also not really empirically testable. Um, same thing with, I mean, Confucianism, that, that's more of a philosophy than anything else. Then you have Buddhism. Yeah. A lot of these are going to be personal revelations. They're not things that were done publicly in the open where they said, go back and ask people if this really happened. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, you think about what happened with Joseph Smith. That was a very personal thing that everybody just kind of had to take their, his word for it. Right. Um, and same thing with a lot of the other religions. But Christianity is unique. And that it is testable. It says this is something that happened in history. If it did not happen, you know, as Paul says, we are, you know, fools to be pitied above all else. Mm -hmm. Life is futile. Go along <laughs> with something else. This is stupid to follow it if it didn't really happen. And so that would be the course. So, but as you and I were talking, um, I, we, we kind of started making the several different distinctions. And one of them was there's core things on what I believe. I, I, I did a talk a while back on, um, called Preaching Christ Without Preaching Christ. And so I try to dissect what is actually needed in order to even kind of be eligible to receive the gospel. Um, so I think there are core things that you have to have in order to even, like, be presented with the gospel. Uh, and then there's core things in order to be considered an Orthodox Christian. Yeah. And these would go within, like, kind of the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, and uh, a couple of the other ones that... <clears throat> Those are going to be different, I guess. So 
like if I were going to say what is absolutely necessary to receive the gospel, this is what I had narrowed it down to. Okay. Uh, first, truth exists. This is extremely fundamental and very, very basic. If you don't believe that truth exists, there's no way you can accept the truth of the gospel. And so if your children are starting to doubt the existence of truth, that should be a red flag and say, this is something that I need to address. This is a big deal. And, or, and can I say that a lot of the times in today, it doesn't mean all truth. Today, it really, there's a dividing line between scientifically verifiable empirical truth and people think, okay, well, that's true. So it's uh -huh. sort of a type of verificationism, I think, where yeah. if I can verify with my five senses, then it's true. And you have to make the case to them, well, there's a lot of things that you believe are true that you can verify with your five senses. And one of them is the truth of verificationism, you know. <laughs> and so you, you, you have to kind of open their eyes to the fact that they are already kind of categorizing things things themselves because we live in this sort of divided People like to world. be selective over which things they demand yeah. evidence for. Yeah, well, it's and like, it's a divided world. It's what Francis Schaeffer saw years ago with the lower story and the upper story and the science and the values and the yeah. um, fact and the values. And so fact is science, and it's what um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is telling us and yes, Stephen Hawking. They're not philosophizing at all. Oh, of course not. No, <laughs> and philosophy course. and all that stuff is in the upper realm when that's all subjective and, and that's where the relative truth is. So I wouldn't say that people are complete relative, relativists. They're sort of this split. And what you have to kind of show them is that there's actually a lot that they're believing is verifiable that's really that, – that, that belongs in that upper story. And so you have yeah. to show them that there's a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah, and the relativism, so relativism is basically the term that's, uh, it means what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, you know, mm -hmm. these aren't different, and nobody And it's usually in know. the realm of religion, I would say. Yeah, right? usually in the realm of religion or, uh, or morality, I would yeah. say that was another big one, but that's one of those things that's so easily defeated, we'll, de we'll devote a podcast to that because it's, it's self, something that's self-defeating or self-refuting means that it's like basically once you say it, it, it defeats itself. Um, <laughs> relativism on a surface level, is pretty easy to defeat because, I mean, all you have to say is when they say, well, that's true for you, but, you know, not tr all truth is relative. Okay, well, is that true? I'm, I mean, we'll, we'll go through that another time. Anyway, so in the core of what you need in order to really have, you know, a, a fruitful bed for the gospel, truth exists. That's a very fundamental thing. Um, the second one is God exists. Mm -hmm. You cannot have the gospel without God, mm -hmm. period. Um, and so if your children start asking questions or expressing kind of doubts about whether or not God exists, that's another one that you should take really seriously. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you can tell them, or if they're having doubts that have nothing to do with some of these core things that we're saying, you can help them categorize that so that they don't feel that it's like completely knocking everything that they thought they believed. So, okay, truth exists, God exists. The third one, 50 years ago, actually would not have been an issue and that sin exists. Hmm. So, I, I mean, think that's a huge one today, Hillary. Actually, that's a great one to bring up. Yeah. 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 I mean, because nowadays it's you are perfect exactly the way you are. You don't change a thing. Baby, I was born this way. We you have know. the Barney generation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Really, I mean, honestly, and, and really, I, I'm an ex gen, I'm an ex gen or whatever. And um, it's still the same, I think, with us. 
uh, there's this yeah. this revulsion at the idea of sin. And I think and because that traces back to the relativism of you can't tell me what's well, right or wrong. And it and I think it really comes out of maybe an abuse. There was mm. some abuse going on and some unhealthy sort of extremes against like you know, especially for children, you know, there was just some harshness toward children. You look at the yeah. late Victorian age. I mean, anyone that reads Jane Eyre, and I imagine most of the women that are listening to this have read Jane Eyre, and they remember <laughs> when she was in this orphanage and how Brocklehurst was just so harsh, and he was using religion to just beat Oppress. these girls into submission, and they weren't being fed, they weren't being clothed, they were dying of disease um, because yeah. tuberculosis, you know, because they weren't being taken care of because it was sort of this mortifying the flesh sort of thing to kind of get out of the sin, get the sin out of them. So that's the extreme, but it's like we have gone to the other extreme now in our days where we yeah. say that then then there's no sin, and and that's like one of the most scientifically verifiable true <laughs> you just look at your own life and you know you fall short yeah well I, I wouldn't call that scientifically verifiable i would call it more self-evident but um, yeah self-evident yeah yeah because there are certain things because i mean that i mean to value things it's hard to scientifically prove anything but um in terms of values but i mean again that's yeah, the way that's of a good point it, it it depends on how you think that they're you gain knowledge how you gain truth but that's also that's a rabbit trail <laughs> Um, okay, so we got truth exists, God exists, sin exists, and then the third that kind of go, or I'm sorry, the fourth that goes along with that is I'm not perfect. If you don't believe that sin exists and you don't believe that you're not perfect, you have no reason for Jesus. I mean, he is just completely mm -hmm. superfluous. Um, and then the last one in, in the presentation I had, I had a little asterisk next to this, uh, is Jesus existed. And the reason why I have an asterisk, is that how to say it? Asterisk? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, next to that is because there's going to be two reasons why people don't believe that Jesus existed. Either A, you know, you're dealing with an indigenous tribe that really has no idea that a guy named Jesus Christ ever existed. Uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, whatever you want to call him from his original. Um, but then you'll also have the ones that have been overly educated to believe the Jesus myth or movement. So, okay, so for all the parents out there, you need to be aware of the Jesus myth or movement. This is absolutely imperative because you're going to find this in the college campuses so so much and not just college campuses you'll find this all over youtube this is your internet atheists who say that jesus never existed it's a big it's a big conspiracy um that's going to be a real barrier for the gospel and i think you, i think that's why it's so important to be teaching our children about the historicity and the textual criticism um, we have Dr. Dan Wallace, we have Dr. Daryl Bach, we have yeah, um, great Craig, guys. Craig Bloomberg, we have um, Mike Lacona. These guys that are really, they're, they're all Christian apologists, and I suggest writing all those names down because these guys really know, they're textual criticism experts, and they know um, about the reliability of these texts. And that's yeah. really... I think that's one of the biggest core issues because not only do we have the Mithers, but we have Bart Ehrman, who, who is a New Testament scholar. He once was a Christian. He has like all these Christian credentials, but then now he's an agnostic slash atheist, and he attacks all the credibility of Jesus being God. I think he definitely now he does not have any respect for Mithers because he thinks Jesus really existed. But he yeah, has, as, a, as a historian, he knows that that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. But the thing is. 
the true historians know this is absolutely ridiculous, but there are whole movements of oh, people. Yeah. In, in fact, who was it? Um, Devin and Melissa Palou, they're out in uh, South Carolina, really amazing couple, but they went to mm-hmm. Skepticon. It's kind of like the yeah. atheist Comic-Con, and they said the two most hated, you're going to get a kick out of this, the two most hated guys at Skepticon were William Lane Craig <laughs> and, and Bart Ehrman. Oh, how funny. <laughs> and it's kind of sad. It's like his own people are turning on him. And the reason why they're turning on him is that he's not a Jesus mither. Yeah. And so that's telling you even the atheists, you know, it's so prevalent within the to say that this is this was a big conspiracy, that this never happened. In fact, I was interacting with a guy on Facebook the other day that was um, – He's he's an atheist. He used to be a Christian, but he was showing this book that he was reading, mm-hmm. and it was going through um, more evidence that you know Jesus never died on a cross, and it was like pointing out stuff like you know everybody was standing at a distance, and so all these people were. I mean, it was just ridiculous stuff um, of yeah. you know nobody really knows. Anyway, so those are my five things for in order for you to even have a root with the gospel, you have to have truth you have to have god you have to have sin you have to know that you're not perfect and you have to have jesus at that point if you have all those things then you can have the gospel now those those are are like those are like the preparation ground right yeah and you see those those are like the biggest sort of stumbling blocks that we have to sort of bulldoze in this in this generation that we live in yeah, that can undermine that's, that's everything. And and I would add even a smaller one to this. And, like, I know that there's a lot of uh, people that take the age of the earth as if that's this big salvific thing. And I really don't think that's yeah. something to hate. I would, I would categorize that in the peripheral doubt. But Definitely. one thing, yeah, one thing I would say with that, though, is a literal Adam and Eve. That one I would say would be core because you don't have a literal Adam and Eve you don't have original sin. If you don't have original sin, you don't have inherited sin. If you don't have inherited sin, again, Jesus is superfluous. So, but again, I would put that one, I would put that one between core and peripheral just yeah, because. I still would too, because I think that there are genuine believers that are sort of falling on the edge of, they're looking, they, they kind of had the science a little bit higher than the the, the text itself. And so they think that maybe there actually there was original population, but there's a lot of problems on a scientific level with that. So many problems. <laughs> yeah. When you look at population genetics and all the assumptions, there are a lot of really poor assumptions that go into that. But yeah. um, um, still, I think you can be like, I, I think Francis Collins definitely falls in that. He's the one that came out and said, we can't believe in a literal Adam yeah. and Eve, but I he's really, the, I think he's a genuine believer. Or what is he, what's he involved with? He's, um, Biologos. Biologos, yeah. And th- there are some problems with that. I mean, um, yeah, we don't want to turn this into a science talk, but so going back to those are, those are the core things that you need in order to have the gospel. There's some other core things in order to really have a robust faith in Christ that kind of go back to some of the creeds. And you had a passage from a book, um, yeah. that you, yeah, so I had something, a passage in this book, and it's, I highly recommend this book. And in fact, I'm looking at um, trying to get a group of parents together at my girls' school to go through this. It's Apologetics for the 21st Century. And I think this is just a, such a well-written book at a very topical, general level, but it's not too topical. I mean, it gets deep in some areas, but it's not, it's not intimidating. It's just very well written. It's by Lewis Marcos, and um, he's a professor of humanities down at um, Houston Baptist University. But um, 
he talked, he has a little paragraph here about um, really what, what's the core of what apologists are um, defending. And he said, though apologists approach their defense of the faith from a number of different angles, and he goes into this, you know, there's more of the literature angle, there's more of the philosophy angle, there's a science angle. He said, um, all of them must include at their core a defense of the central and defining doctrine of Christianity, namely that Jesus of Nazareth was not just a good man or an inspired prophet, but the unique son of God. This doctrine, known as the Incarnation, holds that Jesus was not half man and half God, but fully human and fully divine. And we get this in the Nicene Creed because... um, Yeah, Nicene, I think that was, they were really defining. They had a bunch of people disagreeing on who Jesus really was. Well, they had some heresies that had arisen. And so, and the heresies had arisen, and there had always been heresies, but these heresies had started really taking... um, you know, ha- having some force in them and some following. And so they thought, okay, we've just got to, these creeds that we've had for, you know, several hundred years, we've really got to just codify them and solidify them and, you know, make them official. Clarify and say, this is what we all agree to. And if you don't agree to this, you are not one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Because basically this is, they were all questioning this idea that God that Jesus was not God. They were either saying that he was only man or that he was only God. And I think it's because from a human standpoint, it is a paradox. It is very difficult for us to understand. It is a mystery. And it's one of those areas that we have to allow some mystery and, um, and be okay with that. Um, And I'd like to say on that, that one of the things that drives me nuts is that oftentimes people punt to mystery too often like that's something that needs to be appealed to sometimes and so for things like understanding the trinity yeah that's okay to appeal to mystery Mm -hmm. um but when you appeal to the mysteriousness of god for everything what you're teaching your children is there are no good answers and you better be really really sure that there's not a good answer to that before you act like there's not a good answer because if they start believing there's not a good answer that's one of those nagging doubts that um yeah. I say it all the time that questions yeah. are good. Un- unanswered questions lead to doubt. Yeah. Doubt, when left to solidify, turns into unbelief, which is really, really hard to reverse. So we and need apostasy. to be very, yeah, yeah and yeah, in apostasy. So we need to be very careful about which things we point to mystery on. But I would say understanding him being fully God and fully human, that's okay to punt to mystery because I really don't think there's a way that we really are going to be able to understand that. Anyway, okay, let's get well, back to I the passage. Well, I could say if there's, and, and even with that, there is mystery, but then you can have, you can verbalize, you can put into words um, a way to kind of understand it. And you can say, well, <laughs> God is God. And if there's one person on the earth, it's the max, the, you know, the greatest being that we can conceive of is the one that's able to do that. We can't do it, but God mm-hmm. is greater than us and he can be fully man and fully God. And the Trinity, we can say that God is tri-personal. He created us to be unipersonal. <laughs> and so yeah. we, it is, we don't have a category for being tri-personal because we're unipersonal. So of course we don't understand it. It's like yeah. saying, I don't understand what it's like to be a hockey player because 
I've never played hockey. I've never studied that. I can't even ice skate. <laughs> well, it's like a, it's a, it's a stick man trying to picture what it's like to be three dimensional when he's never seen three dimensional. He's only seen other stick men. That's actually the best thing because it's it is this idea we're we're one dimensional. We're unipersonal. God is like his personality, his personalness, or whatever is multi dimensional. Um, so there's ways that we can express it verbally. So I wouldn't even just dismiss your kids and say, oh, well, it's just a mystery. I would say, okay, well, these are some ways to think about it. But remember that even when I can verbalize it, it still is going to sound like a paradox because okay. it is something for our brain. It's hard for our brain to wrap around. Um, yeah. So, so this idea that God, um, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, um, and around the incarnation may be grouped other essential doctrines of the faith that God, though one, exists eternally as three persons, that's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are all born with a sinful nature, like you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We exist in a state of rebellion against God and his law, original that's sin. Not, I'm not per- that's another way of phrasing that I'm not perfect. Yeah, and that is a, that's a huge stumbling block for our day and age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross brought us back into a relationship with God the Father, and that's through the atonement. Um, that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, that's the resurrection. And that he will return bodily, the second coming. And that all who are in Christ will join him in the final resurrection of the dead. Um, these are the key non-negotiable doctrines that um, may be added, we may add two or more. That God is the maker of heaven and earth that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And it is both, it's sort of the incarnate word of God, just as it's fully human and fully God, like Jesus is fully human and fully God. Um, And that many apologists, I among them would add more qualifications to these last two. That's the God as a creator. Yeah. God creator. So I was taking a note. I was, I'm sorry. What was that last thing? And, and they thought that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Yeah. So I was taking notes while you, um, while you read that. And so these are the the list of things. And and, and I would agree basically with most of these. So first one was Jesus. And I think, I mean, everything comes back to Jesus. You cannot get around that. Yeah. And this is the thing. I think if, if your kids are having doubts, this is the thing that you need to be a specialist in is, who Jesus was and did he live? Did he die? Did he rise again? Because if those things happened, a lot of these other things can be peripheral. So Jesus, uh, the incarnation, fully God, fully man, that would be one of the ones that in order to be an Orthodox Christian, this is a core. Mm-hmm. Um, God is the Trinity. That's a core. We're born sinful. That's a core of both salvation and for orthodoxy. Uh, Living in rebellion, both salvation and orthodoxy as well. Um, Jesus' death and resurrection, absolutely the thing we need to specialize in. Um, that's the biggest. And the, yeah, that is the biggest. He will return. That That's a faith statement. That's not something you will ever... But that that's still in order to be orthodox. You have to, you have, to have that. Uh, and we will join him in resurrection. God is the creator. We could do uh, like a thousand podcasts on that. And then Bible as the authority. Those ones are the ones that you need to be taking a mark of, and you need to teach your children that these are the ones. If someone's attacking these things, these are questions you need to get answers to. The Bible being the authority, um, that is something that textual criticism is out there and it's available. And what I would like to highlight to parents is the fact that 
all the all the things that uh, skeptics and atheists will say against the Bible. Mm-hmm. Try to get them to find another ancient text that's better attested to that has more evidence it's like try to find anything that's better than that it's kind of like my dad always kind of jokingly talks about democracy and he's like it's the worst kind of government in the world except for all the other ones <laughs> I love so, that. that's great <laughs> so yeah. it'd be like the bible's the you know comp- the worst attested to thing in all of antiquity except for all the other ones yeah you know it, it's still like it's really the, the top number dog. of manuscripts we have especially of the new testament and i will just say that yeah, if you really want to get it down to bare bones, what are the absolute essential things? I would say, look at the New Testament documents, the Gospels. First yeah. of all, can you believe these eyewitness accounts? If yeah. you can, these guys are saying that this man died and he rose from the grave and he appeared to them. You okay? If that happened, you gotta. That has never happened in history. You've got to listen to this guy. These the, these disciples gave their life. They totally changed. They they and 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 it's hard for us to understand in our very autonomous um culture where we're just very individualistic. But yeah. this was a very community-oriented cult- culture that these that these people lived in that wrote these gospels, these eyewitness accounts. When they were claiming that Jesus was God and that he rose from the dead, they that was absolute blasphemy. And they were not only going to be cut off from their community, but they were going to be cut off from their families and they had a death sentence put on them. Yeah. So this there's a lot hanging on these claims. It wasn't just Joseph Smith out in, you know, Utah. I, I cross my fingers and swear to God, take my word for it. Yeah, no, this was a big big deal for these people so it's very hard for us americans in this day and age so we have to we have to be good scientists good historians and take off our cultural baggage from today and step into that culture that they had and understand that and so that is the key if we believe that then we have to listen to this guy and this guy was either and it comes into that lord liar or lunatic and he was claiming he was god yeah, there's a fourth category now, and that's legend, which we, shouldn't, we can go all into yeah. that. But anyway, so like, what's the take-home message for parents on if you're trying to help? And this is this is going to be this is going to be trickling in probably from middle school on, and then once you start getting to college, it starts getting really serious. And if you don't have your children have a firm foundation by then, um, it is very easy to pick them off. But yeah. So what's the take-home message on why is it important for our children to understand what is the core and what's the peripheral, in, in your opinion? Why is that important to understand? Because they are going to have, um, and, and I just say from my own experience, they are going to have a lot of atheists lobbying doubts over the net to them. And a lot of them today have to do with the Old Testament and how the Old Testament yeah. is so weird and all these Levitical laws and the slaughter of the Canaanites. There's some goofy stuff in there There's that, some that you're just like stuff that I don't understand, but I have so much confidence in the historicity of the resurrection that I'm going to place my bets on that and I'm going to say I don't totally understand all that stuff in the Old Testament and I'm just going to trust that to the Lord and say you know, that's, that was like over 2,000 years ago. It was a totally different culture. It was a totally different language. We're translating it 
at a different time. There's a lot of factors that may go into obscuring what was really happening at the time. And yeah. I just am going to trust God, the God that, right, that, that sent his son to die for me, to give me eternal life. I'm going to trust that God. He's good. And so I don't understand it all. Um, and I think there's actually some good explanations for that. And you can go into that. But when Clay Jones has a lot of really, oh, really good stuff. Yeah. If anybody's like really curious about like all the Canaanite stuff, look up Clay Jones. He has a lot of study on that. But and taking Paul, this back Paul to Copan, I would say too is, oh, does is he? pretty good. Yes, yes. Now I don't necessarily agree with all agree with all of it. That I mean, I think you know it's plausible, but we don't know for sure. And yeah. um, but there's a lot in history that we don't know for sure, even in our own American history. So. Um, I would say that it's so good to be able to say, does this affect whether or not Jesus rose from the grave? Yeah. And, and it doesn't, I, it, because we're talking about the Bible that was collected over, over 2000 years yeah. and that all the documents for it. And so we have to just narrow it down to those documents that were very specific to our faith as far as the core. And that's the New Testament. Yeah. Um, bringing this to a personal level, uh, just to, of why this is important. Um, I remember some thoughts that I had back when I was like in high school and college, I was still a very strong Christian. I never had a time of where I walked away from the Lord. And that's something where I thought my testimony was super boring mm -hmm. up until I got older. And I realized, well, that's a really rare testimony. And mm -hmm. I really wish I'd been presented with more people with that testimony in high school. Cause I think in high school and in college, you're always presented with, you know, I was a drug dealer and a hooker and then the Lord got me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you're never presented. I'm like, so what happened to all the people that grew up in the church? Are they just like not passionate anymore? Anyway, that's, ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. But one of the things I remember thinking, because I was a camp counselor at a Christian camp and I remember thinking, I'm not sure if I can really say to these girls, it's like, I know I'm supposed to say God's always going to be there for you. He's always going to pull through. He's never going to let you down. And I was like, I really don't feel like I can say that yet. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later to where I saw faithfulness after faithfulness, basically where stuff that happens that you don't understand. And it, it takes a lot longer for you to understand it. Like, for example, um, this is probably revealing a lot to the listeners. I struggle with depression. And I remember when that started um, in late high school. Mm -hmm. And I hated it. It's horrible. It's still horrible. It really sucks. Uh, can I say sucks? Um, <laughs> um, well, it does. It does. So. Let's, yeah, let, let's get real about this. And I didn't understand it until there was a girl that I had in my cabin that I was going through a really difficult time of depression. And I, I told the girls in the cabin, hey, I know maybe your other counselors have told you before that, you know, that they've gone through stuff and they're out now. But I'm going to let you know this is where I am now. And there was a girl that I had in my cabin for four years that was a mean, mean girl. She is the quintessential mean girl that I never connected with. And that last year that I had her in my cabin, when I told them this, um, she has to talk to me later. And she's like, I feel the exact same way. This girl was miserable. And mm -hmm. that's why she was so mean. But I would have never yeah. connected with her had I not struggled with that. And I remember from that point on, I said, thank you, God for this depression because it makes it to where I can minister. I'm going to cry. Cause Aww. you can, <laughs> you can bring what, what it reminds me of that second Corinthians. You can comfort That's my verse. Yeah. comfort others with the comfort you yourselves have received. So yeah. like I said, it wasn't until later to where I saw times when I thought God was unfaithful. And then I realized that he was faithful after all that I could say, and I can say with confidence, God is faithful. 
And so, like with these doubt things, answering questions for your children, um, they're going to have this period of time where they're going to be counting up how many of these questions are actually getting answered and and these core doubts, these core things I think are defensible. And once they have enough of these that are defensible and that have been answered, they can say, now I I can generalize to the things that I don't know there's probably an answer. And those we can say for the peripheral things, unless they have these core things, though, they're not going to be able to generalize. And it's, uh, I think what John always calls it is giving a gracious reading. Yeah. Oh, I like Like, that. Yeah, it's giving a gracious reading to where you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. You can't give them the benefit of the doubt unless they've kind of proved themselves beforehand. And God can, he does prove himself through history uh, through logic, even, and yeah, that is absolutely. that is yeah, that is why having these core things ha- helping them categorize this is going to tell them these are the things that you can expect from God to answer. These are the things that might be mysterious, and once they have that foundation of things that are answered and things that they know, this is the stuff that matters. All the other stuff, it, it, it might be a question, but it's not going to rock their faith. And ultimately, as parents, it's, that's what we want is children that are standing on a firm foundation. Yeah, that's what I, every, as you're saying all this, I'm just thinking that the, the, song, the hymn about the firm foundation, well, what is in that firm foundation? We talk about it all the time, but I don't think we really stop and think about what is in it. And I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea when someone has a doubt, does this rock that foundation or is this just something that's kind of out maybe up in the mm-hmm. second or third story does this break a, break a does this break a window or does this rock the foundation does, i love that that's great <laughs> no that's awesome does this break does it's just like a little rock through the window and i will tell you that atheists like to throw a lot of rocks through windows and when yeah. you really look at what they're doing it's just rock through windows yeah, and it really it is. It really isn't. But they're they're counting on and, and, and I don't know if they're they're consciously doing it or they for them it was also, you know, foundation breaking. But they're throwing all these rocks and, and in all reality, when you look at whether or not this is a peripheral doubt or this rocks the core, it's just a rock through a window. And um having just being able to categorize things in that way I think is very um empowering. And I've if I, as I've communicated that to other people, light bulbs have gone off and mm-hmm. it was a light bulb for me. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's about, I think we went over time a little bit, but, um, let's just, uh, do you want to pray? Do you want me to pray? Why don't you pray? Okay. I will pray just cause I am, I'm all hyped up right now. <laughs> uh, dear Lord, we thank you so much that you entered time, that you entered history and that you came and you did, you don't expect us, Lord, to just have blind faith. I thank you, God, that you don't expect us to have blind faith because as, as just a scientific-minded person, I, I would have a really difficult time with that, Lord. I thank you, God, mm. that you involve our intellect, that you involve our emotions, and you involve our will, yeah. Lord, in all levels. God, I pray that you would help the parents that are listening right now, the moms that are listening right now to help instill in their children that firm foundation, Lord, that you would instill in them the confidence and the assurance that there are answers to these tough questions, to know how to categorize these questions so that when, uh, when, when atheists and when uh, professors and teachers and friends are just lobbying all these things that 
might shake the foundation of their faith, that they will be able to categorize it and say, this is not a core, this is a peripheral mm-hmm. thing, that is not going to shake who I am in Christ. God, I pray that you would continue to help equip these women um, mm-hmm. to have a solid faith grounded in, in history and in logic and wisdom and truth, Lord, that these things exist. We praise you, God. And um, I just thank you for this time I've had with Rebecca, Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for my partner. Mm-hmm. In your name I pray. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.